Hello and welcome back to the Separated Podcast. Uh, this is a podcast that covers my life um, as a service member separated from his family by his duties. Um, currently getting a divorce from my wife and uh, I'm just talking about all the things that I go through, the way that I look at the world and um, <clears throat> and this is episode three. Um, where I will talk about my time in the Navy over the years from 1993 to 1997. So in the last episode, I had kind of gotten fed up with everything that was going on with my life, where I grew up, I graduated high school, and shortly after high school, because of pressures at home and in the streets, I made the decision to join the Navy. And I'm going to tell you, I really didn't know anything about the Navy. I grew up in a Navy town. My dad used to be in the Navy, but I didn't really know anything about it. To me, the Navy was just kind of full of a bunch of dudes uh, who dressed funny and uh, came out into town and tried to sleep with girls that were too young for them. But nevertheless, I saw it as a way out. And I jumped on it, right? So in September, I boarded on a plane and uh, flew off to Great Lakes, Illinois, where I started basic training. Now, you may have seen a lot of movies about basic training. Um, Usually they're like Army or Marine Corps basic training comes to mind. Like Full Metal Jacket is probably the most uh, recognizable one. Navy basic training really wasn't like that. I mean, there were similarities, but it wasn't really like a lot of getting in the mud and stuff like that. There was a lot of people yelling in your face and and a lot of uh, drama going on. But, you know, because of my background, because of the person that I was, I really wasn't faced by that. Like, I remember when I first got there, and this dude got in my face and started yelling, yelling at me about standing in line the right way. And I just kind of... You know, I, I almost giggled a little bit just just because I wasn't really impressed by that. I still thought I was a badass uh, from being in the streets, you know. And let's just face it, sometimes people get authority and, and they're still clowns, even with some authority, right? Um, but I did meet some real ones in, the, in boot camp. Uh, my uh, company commander, uh, his name was boiler technician second class Robinson he was definitely a real one and the people that he ran our uh, what we call it a ship uh, with they were all pretty real ones and the ship was just a building with different classes of people going through boot camp together each class had like 60 to 80 people and each class had their own company commander but they would all work together Um, like in the evenings and weekends to make sure that we stayed in line when we weren't actively involved in training. So uh, for the most part, boot camp was a lot of marching, a lot of medical, like getting vaccinations and things like that, Uh, a lot of physical training, a lot of punitive physical training, like you mess up, you doing push-ups or whatever and sometimes let's keep it real they just did that for fun you know (laughs) they would make you do it for fun and then 
I ended up getting into the type of shape because if you remember from episode two, I used to work all the time, so I went to boot camp strong. But um, I just got in so much shape, and and it just got to be funny to me. Like we would be working, getting punished, and I would mess up on purpose because the fat people in the back were crying and whining. And and I know that's not a good display of teamwork, but. I've always been an asshole, and that's just the way that it was, right? So anyway, um, and then we had these educational classes where we learned things like Navy customs, rights and responsibilities, talked about our benefits a little bit, uh, Navy ranks uh, and pay grades, and just a whole lot of um, teaching to kind of get you indoctrinated into the culture. And of course, there was like the firefighting trainer uh, the gas mask where you had to get exposed to tear gas. Um, uh, the seamanship trainer where you pretended like you were getting a ship underway. And uh, the shooting range, right? So in a nutshell, that's Navy boot camp. Other boot camps are like three months long, but Navy boot camp at the time was only eight weeks. Um, and I went to Chicago in the dead of the winter. It was the coldest thing I had ever experienced in my life. Uh, it was so cold that we had to put on like three sets of clothes, wrap a towel around our face, put a ski mask over the towel, and then put like a beanie on over the ski mask, put on our gloves, wrap up in a scarf, just to march like three blocks to get some breakfast, right? <laughs> like. <laughs> That wind would be coming across, it'd be like 20 below. Because, you know, the uh, boot camp is right on the Great Lakes, just outside of Chicago. So, if you never heard of the Hawk, or maybe some of you are familiar with the Hawk, that was my first experience with the Hawk. You know, people think that Seattle area has miserable weather. I'm going to tell you, they have very mild winters. Like, most winters back then, you would probably get like one or two inches of snow at a time uh, it would never pile up it would usually be gone in a week uh, if it was a really bad winter of course it was good for the kids we like more snow right then you would probably get maybe three or four inches um, the temperature would rarely get it would get below freezing of course but it wouldn't really get below zero you know so then to be in Chicago where it's just cold as hell, it's probably zero without the wind chill. And then the wind chill comes and just kind of freezes you to your bones. That was a new experience for me. <clears throat> I don't really remember it being that bad, um, but I just remember it had a big effect on our day and on our level of comfort. So when we weren't doing that, um, you know, I got to meet some people in my company and made some friends. I could remember their names even to this day and uh, to pass the time you know we all kind of had similar backgrounds and so we used to like gamble in the back of the um, in the back of of the uh, open bay birthing where we all slept we all slept in one big room like 80 beds in the room and uh, so we just used to go in the back corner and gamble a little bit I remember we even made some dice out of some soap we carved up some dice and we would shoot craps in the back I must have won like eight nine hundred dollars 
sitting in the back because they used to pay us in cash, right? And uh, we just used to go back there and gamble. So I won like eight, nine hundred dollars. Um, and that was really my whole boot camp experience. Like it wasn't traumatizing. It didn't change my life in any way. And in fact, uh, we used to have such a pace uh, and I would be so tired that the reality is when I finished boot camp, I didn't even really remember the things that they had tried to teach me. I, like, I still couldn't identify anybody by their um, pay grade or their insignias on their uniforms. I didn't know none of that stuff. But I passed. So um, at the end of boot camp, there's a graduation where the class goes and marches. And they do, they do a, a parade and review, you know, before all the senior people and the family members that come to see them graduate. Nobody came to see me graduate. I'm pretty sure I didn't even invite anybody to come see me graduate, but nobody came, and I didn't go to the graduation. My class all left. I kind of hung out in the back. Once I uh, knew that the graduation was going, I grabbed my bag. I had my uh, records, and I caught a cab, and I went to the airport. And that was boot camp for me, right? So so um, I was supposed to be going to San Diego from the airport, but I didn't. I once I was at the airport, I took some of my cash that I had won, you know, gambling uh, in the back, and I bought an airline ticket, and I went back home, back to uh, the Pacific Northwest, and um, you know, I just spent a little bit of time there. It wasn't, there was no significant events. Um, I remember coming home from the airport, did bring back like a lot of emotions that I had felt. Uh, when I left, which is mostly uh, anger and frustration, right? So, which is why I left. Um, but I did hang out with my parents for a little while, saw some of my friends, um, saw my best friend. I remember we took a trip up to Tacoma, went to the swap meet, bought some clothes and stuff. Then I went out, we went out to a party, and uh, I ran into some of the so-called homies, and of course it was drama, you know, so... I was glad to get out of there. I ended up flying back to San Diego probably a week later. And um, once I got to San Diego, I reported to my next command, or actually my first command after boot camp, which was Fleet ASW Training Center, where I went to school to learn how to do my job as a sonar technician. Now, uh, Fleet ASW Training Center was... It was close to downtown. It was right across the street. The Navy used to have this big property right there in Point Loma called Naval Training Center, and they had a bunch of schools there. So when I got there, right across the street was the Navy Training Center, and they had actually just closed the Navy boot camp out there because the Navy also had a boot camp in San Diego that they closed that year in uh, 1990. It was probably 94 by now. And so, um, I guess the point is, there was just girls all over the place, right? So, uh, and, and just learning my way around, I, there wasn't really much going on at my base. My base was a small base, and then there was a bridge that you could take uh, so that you could go directly from my base to the Navy Training Center. And then at the Navy Training Center, in addition to all the schools, 
they had a galley where you could go and eat and they had a bowling alley and they had a navy exchange which is basically a retail store well at the bowling alley and on base and actually on all the bases in san diego back in those days even if you were not 21 you could buy alcohol at the base uh, clubs and they made it that way in the hopes that you wouldn't go to Tijuana where you could drink right um, so what we used to do is well anyway first I got indoctrinated there I was hanging out at the bowling alley and then I kind of met some friends uh, met some girls built like a little social life especially after I started going to class um, met some people and we started hanging out right and and things never changed for me I was still um, drinking too much and drinking too often I really didn't have any idea how to control control that you know so uh, we would go and we would get we would go to the bowling alley and we would drink drink beers and and get you know a little loaded up on that and then there was this lady she operated like a shuttle if you call her she will come to where you're at and this is before the day of the cell phone so I don't even know where she was at when you called her I don't know if she had an office or a dispatcher or she just uh, sat at home and waited for the call but if you called her she would come to your base take all the people on her shuttle and then drive you like the 25 miles down to the border and drop you off she would want to know what time you wanted to go back and when you walked out of the across the border back into the United States that shuttle would be there it was like the best service uh, that she could provide for young sailors I bet she made a killing with that shuttle too because we used it every weekend but um anyway <laughs> I kind of got off a little bit um, but that was how we spent our time right like we would drink on base we'd go to Tijuana and then you know other times like we would go to the beach um, we would go downtown we would go um, to the base clubs we would go to Tijuana we would uh, go shopping and hang out at the malls uh, back then you know malls are were kind of a popping place still I wasn't too old to go to the mall back in those days um, as I continued my school after a while I kind of fell in with a crowd of guys that were a little older than me and uh, one of them had an apartment just outside uh, the training center where I lived at in the barracks so I used to go to his apartment all the time and hang out and, and we would just wake up on the weekends <clears throat> walk across the street to the liquor store and buy 40s or 64 ounce bottles of probably old English and just drink all day right drink gamble uh, some of these most of these guys were from the East Coast so you know I grew up shooting dice playing craps but these guys taught me a game called CeeLo that they play on the East Coast maybe you're familiar with it maybe you're not so we would shoot craps we would roll some CeeLo and then like because we were getting drunk one of the guys that I used to hang out with he was a bully right and he was big I was a little kid at this point in my life I was five foot eight probably like 
130 pounds, maybe 135. Um, so this guy would get drunk, and then he'd try to bully you on the dice. Um, but, you know, I was kind of a lot of things in my life. But I really wasn't very good at being a punk. So me and the guy would fight. And uh, it depends on how much I had to drink as to how well that would go. But usually, because he probably had at least 100 pounds on me, usually he would just beat my ass real quick and uh, ruin my day. So, um, but living this lifestyle with these guys, I was getting in trouble at work. Like I was coming into work, lumped up sometimes, and I was fighting more people than him. Like I used to get in a fight with people all the time, and it was always alcohol related. Like that habit that I had never did me any favors, and I wasn't always getting my ass kicked, but still. The lifestyle had me coming to work late, you know, coming to work, sometimes a little lumped up. It was giving me all the wrong type of attention, um, but I managed to make it out of there. I graduated my classes, never really got in any trouble, and uh, ended up going to my first ship in 1994. So my first ship was in San Diego. Uh, it was the USS Kincaid. It was a destroyer, uh, which the Navy classified as a sm small surface combatant. It had a crew probably of about 320 to 350 people. Um, and its main mission was anti-submarine warfare. And I was a sonar technician. So basically my primary skill set was the ship's mission so <clears throat> so as soon as I checked in and and this is one thing that is common at least in the Navy like even though I had joined the Navy in a, in a Navy town and gone to basic training and then went to school all that time like until I was standing on that pier and looking at that ship and then they told me that we were going overseas for six months. I never really got it, right? Like, I never realized the concept of what the Navy actually does, right? I just always figured it was like working on a ship. And regardless of the fact that ships go to sea, that had just like never occurred to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and I just remember being in awe on that first day like holy crap this is some real stuff you know what I'm saying um so I was there for like a couple weeks and then we went to sea I really didn't have time to get settled in which was probably for the best um, because as soon as I kind of started to know my way around and uh, understand how the organization worked we were gone out to sea um, I fell in with a lot of the young brothers on the ship with a crew of about 300 people. Really, there wasn't a lot of diversity, right? I mean, there was like some young folks from all over the country, but most of them were white. And then there were some Asians, some blacks, and some Hispanics, um, mostly in the jobs that they didn't give you a school for. But 
I had friends that worked out in the engineering plant with the engines. I had friends that worked with the electricians or that were electricians. I had friends that just worked with the rigging and the lines on the deck. And uh, I still managed to have friends throughout all areas of the, of the uh, jobs on the ship. And we would all hang out together. And uh, even though there was not a whole lot of us, it still kind of turned out to be about three or four different cliques of people. And uh, I'll never forget that first ship. Uh, when I reported there, there was no women on board the ship. It was an all-male ship um, because in 93, 94, 95, surface combatants, women were not allowed to serve on surface combatants. And I don't have issues with women, but really I think the fact that there was no women there is what made that ship one of my best experiences on a ship because the camaraderie was real and um, not that women come in and ruin the camaraderie on their own but once you get women in the mix a lot of men they start acting uh, like bitches right <laughs> you know you can't trust them anymore there's a lot of shady stuff going on they're always trying to show their ass um, you know to try to impress some woman or some female and so after the women came it was never the same but for that first deployment it was great we went all the way all around the world and I remember we hang out in uh, Hawaii Korea Thailand Singapore Hong Kong Australia Bali Fiji Abu Dhabi and Dubai that was all on that deployment we crammed all that into six months and actually we hit Hawaii again on the way back home and uh, we had a lot of adventures I'm not really gonna go into the stories um, on this podcast episode even though later I could always refer back to one or two that that's relevant to whatever we're talking about and um, yeah but I will just say um, back in those days the Navy handled going overseas differently than they do today, you know, because of politics. So back in those days, if the Navy pulled up to a foreign port, you could just go, right? Like, you didn't have to have no friends. You didn't have to tell them where you were going. You had to come back to the ship and work every three days for one day. And other than that, you were free to do what you pleased. Typically, we were only in port for three or four days, so you got two to three days off, and you went to work one time, and then it was time to go. If you did leave with your friends, again, you didn't have to leave no type of information. We really didn't have cell phones. Um, you just left, and you, your biggest obligation was to be back to work on time. So sometimes I would just go out by myself, um, regardless of how many people I always ended up befriending, I've always been a loner, right? I've always been somebody that wanted to spend some time by myself. I needed to decompress. I needed to kind of get away from other people's energy and spend some time by myself. So <clears throat> that deployment was great because now if you leave the ship, you have to go with somebody. You have to like know where you're going, leave it written down, 
note when you're getting back and then in addition you're responsible for that person's conduct so if you go out with somebody and they get into an incident in a foreign country well now you're you're responsible for that incident as well it's called the buddy system i'm really not a fan of it um i can see how it works maybe for the younger sailors because when i was young i always managed to make it back to work on time but maybe i didn't get up and start working on time because I'd had too much to drink. You know, I missed the muster. People would be coming to my bed and, and yelling and screaming at me. And it was just a bad situation. Once again, alcohol was my biggest enemy. Um, and then when we were out to sea, I was still kind of angry inside, right? And so, well, not kind of. I was still very much an angry young cat and uh it showed i had an attitude i uh, never got attached to any mentors i was always angry about some things and um, the work ethic that i had gotten from my father carried over into um my job right so when i was at work i was a great worker i could figure things out on my own i would get the work done i would do a good job you didn't have to worry about that. My work ethic was A plus, but my um, but my attitude, my attitude was trash, and I paid for it, right? Like I never got any personal awards or awards of any kind. Um, I never got selected for the good programs or the best opportunities, and um, you know I really hindered myself because. I didn't want to play the game. I was actually like, screw this place. I hooked up with this guy when I first got there, this white guy that I worked for. And he helped me to develop such a bad attitude that the Navy actually offered me a commission at that time. They sent me a letter. They said, hey, you are, we're looking at your advancement exam scores and we see that you're smart. We're going to give you an opportunity to go to college. And this guy had set this attitude in me about the leaders, the chiefs and officers that I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. So here I am in 1995, 94, 95, getting the opportunity to commission. That's the opportunity that I would seek later in my career in 2013. No, 2003, right? So I lost eight years of opportunity just because I didn't have my mind right. Um, so, yeah, I didn't do myself any favors because I was carrying over a lot of emotional baggage. I look back on those days and I think about the lack of maturity. Um, and I had said in episode two that, you know, the parents just really got to raise your kids. And the reality is, just emotionally, I was not prepared um, for life on my own. But yet, there I was doing it, right? Like, in every aspect of life, I was an adult. But I just wasn't really a, a high-functioning adult when it came to relationships, uh, my emotional state. And I ended up paying the price for it, and, and I'll tell you all about it, right? So my attitude... After I learned what the Navy was about, um, 
got experience with a deployment under my belt, my attitude was mostly like, you know, fuck the Navy, right? I don't really like to use profanity these days, but that's that's what it was. So it showed in everything that I did, but I managed to get through the deployment without any real problems. And uh, once we got back, everybody got to take leave. So when I got to take leave, I flew back to Washington State, and I got my car, and I drove it back down. Um, I didn't spend any time with any of my old friends down there. I did go and catch up with some girls that I'd always wanted to hook up with, um, but I didn't hook up with any of them. I, I blew it, you know, so. <laughs> so anyway, I went back to San Diego, and I just enjoyed the time. Uh, I met a girl, um, and we started spending a lot of time together, and I won't forget her. She was actually probably the first girl I ever really would call my girlfriend, right? Because earlier in my life, I just slept with girls, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to sleep with you, and I'm going to keep you hanging on, and I'm going to sleep with other women at the same time. It was just, you know, the dumb way that young young dudes act. That's all I did. I never had a girlfriend. In fact, I look at my sons today, and I don't want them to to do the things that I did, but I always tell my sons today, like, why waste time having a girlfriend at this point in your life, right? You know, I'm not asking them to sleep around. I'm actually encouraging my sons not to sleep with anybody. Uh, but still, what do you got? What do you need a girlfriend for? You're not even an adult. But anyway, I'm getting off track. Um, I spent a lot of time with this girl, and she took me home to meet her parents. And her parents had a lot of issues, man. Like, both of her parents were drunks. She lived um, in the City Heights area in San Diego. And it was down, like, right now, that area is where all the Africans, African uh, immigrants live. But back then, it was just kind of like the hood. And, um, you know, it was always going down at her house. People would be fighting and arguing. I remember they had this neighbor. One day, the neighbor was trying to check me about my about my rank or something like that. He didn't believe that I was the pay grade that I said I was, even though I showed it to him on his ID card. He was drunk, and the whole family just jumped him. <laughs> the mom... The mom, the dad, my girlfriend, I think even the grandpa jumped on and got some, and they they beat his ass. But, you know, even though, like, the family that fights together, you know, uh, loves together, this girl was super emotional all the time. She was always having these emotional breakdowns. Um, and so it really wasn't working out. I spent most of my time still hanging out with my friends, and then, not long after everybody ended up going back to work, the ship ended up transferring to Long Beach Naval Shipyard, and um, and I broke up with her <laughs> because I was now living in Long Beach. So, um, you know, there's really no real morals uh, of the story to this part of my life. I will say that just because I had started off my life with no real foundation, I really hadn't done myself any favors at this point. In fact, 
it was just by the grace and mercy of the Most High that I hadn't really uh, screwed myself over uh, by going to prison or, or by, uh, well, by going to jail um, or by losing my job, going to non-judicial punishment, which is like a military, uh, it's a non-judicial process, but you still go up before the captain and get judged, right? Um, I had really just kind of gotten real lucky up to this point that my attitude and the shenanigans that I got into really didn't get me into any real trouble. So, you know, the most high is looking out for me. I know that there has always been a purpose for my life because of so many things that I've gotten away with and not gotten caught up in. Um, and I'm going to cut this off because I don't want the podcast to go too long. Next week, I'm going to finish up my first enlistment. All that, y'all, just was like the first two years of my first enlistment. Um, And I'm going to finish up the next two years next week. All right. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in. Please remember to um, share my podcast, subscribe to it, and I will see you later. Take care. God bless.